0: you're listening to the beyond digital education podcast with me nathan johnson and my co-host carl kaczynski and Remy Bassing. we hope you enjoy the show um
1: like i was just like because when you were saying about using the abc model I, I like i was thinking well depending on where you're coming into this project you could think about loads of things you could think about okay are we going to use a project management? like approach for example so are you going to use like agile or prince2 or waterfall like what works best in your setting it doesn't really matter which one you use as long as you know it works for your setting then when it comes to learning design what are you going to use sam are you going to use assure are you going to use addy like you know there are various different or you can use the analyze design uh, i forget what it's called a- analysis and discovery i forgot what it's called um but uh And then so you've done that. And then it's like, okay, so what do we do in terms of the user experience? Are we using Wright or Horton? Like how are we presenting this? Then when we get into the course, we're using, I don't know, Bloom's taxonomy is quite commonly used, but there are other taxonomies. So what do we do to ensure that learners are moving up the scales? Uh, And then finally, when you're talking about, well, how do the learners engage with that? And you mentioned Diane Lorelai's ABC. So there are all these, like, they're at different stages. So you kind of need a framework for each of these. And it doesn't really matter which one you use, but you need to say, right, you need a framework for all of these so that we all know what we're doing. This is the one that the university is using. There are others, but this is why we use this one. Um, and this is where we'll get you to. I did also share a link with you guys, actually. It's a, it's a paper that I read uh, this morning, actually, for a, a kind of reading group that we've got at work. Um, but, uh, it's um, it's about um, games and people, how people learn when they play computer games, um, and you might find it quite interesting. But some similarities are pulled out between how we produce courses uh, at work and um, and the games that I pulled out were things like narrative. So there, there needs to be a strong sense of narrative both within a course and within um, within a game, so that learners understand what they're doing. Um, the uh, sense of character. So who are, the, who are they playing in the game and, and what role are they taking in, a, in, in learning? So are they taking on the course of a learner? Are they taking on the course of, I don't know, maybe someone who's a bit more experienced? Um, feedback that you get in games and we expect people to have feedback wh- when they're learning. So instant feedback for certain tasks, but then kind of more structured, detailed feedback for bigger ones smaller tasks should build up to bigger tasks so the gate the skills that you learn in early parts of games build up to more complicated tasks like be- beating the big boss later like how do you think about formative assessments and then like final assessments like yes. substantive assessments as a result like are yes. they
0: learning the skills which is going to get them to their assessment yes and, and introducing them to it as well because yeah. i mean i, I played quite a few video games and the idea of coming into a game not knowing the controls not know how it works mm. it's, it's that kind of step-by-step process of okay, you don't know how this works. So we're going to introduce different things that kind of explain how it works. And then further on, we'll then utilise those skills to reinforce that learning. And then later on, like you say, you've got your big boss where you're using all these skills that you never knew before, but now they've just been ingrained. And you're just like, and actually looking back, you're like, well, two weeks, three weeks, so I didn't even know of how to pick up this control and what buttons I was meant to use but now it's just second nature to me. Um,
1: well I, I remember on the uh, the Mega Drive and the Super Nintendo when we had those you used to have to read the instructions from the booklet so you wouldn't get so like, your like, a tutorial but no I was thinking oh that's like a flipped classroom isn't it where you have to do the work before you start the the, the fun practical exercise but now they teach you in in the game itself so you learn all of those skills in like these basic low stakes exercises and that feeds into the other thing that games let you do they let you learn through failure so failure if you die from the boss it's not necessarily a bad thing but you, you're like okay well what do, what happened what did i do wrong and then i can go back and kind of deal with it in a different way later on um and chunking chunking is another big thing about games that they, they break things into missions or tasks or something like that i'm like there are so many parallels here that we could use in order to make courses more engaging more interesting um but what the university needs to decide, agree upon and then stick to rather than chopping and changing to something else after a year, because it hasn't quite settled after a year, is what do we really want to do with our courses? How do we know these are good
0: courses? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if you if you move into an external market, then it's it's less about kind of that internal who are we and more about how we position ourselves in an international market and I think that, that's huge um, but yeah I don't know I don't know I, I don't know how how we're going to crack that if we're going to crack that um, but I think we've got to crack that early on so it's very much something that if you get wrong then and, and similar to what we've seen in a lot of projects that you get involved in if you get it wrong at the start then you risk kind of alienating people um, and then you just lose that engagement because then they don't see. So they'll look at it and think that doesn't work, no matter how much time. So I, I've seen quite a few video, video games and it happens a lot now that will come out in a beta, kind of like in a beta phase. Um, so things don't quite work. And I think cyberpunk kind of came out and um, wasn't quite as good as it, it was um, hailed to be um, and then everyone goes away and thinks oh, that, that just wasn't it just wasn't good. So no matter how much development you put into that, it's kind of like you, you kind of then you're trying to get back those people that kind of you've lost.
1: Or like, is that is that an example of co-design where you're kind of like, okay, uh, this game didn't work for you. We want you to contribute and tell us how to improve it. So kind of you've got the you've got the end customer contributing to make your product better. I mean, uh, we've we've spoken about it before. I used to speak about it in the office around why aren't we getting the learners who've just done a course to feed into the next iteration of the course in order to make it better? They've just experienced it. They'll have an understanding of what did and didn't work for them. And although it's not the complete picture. And, and so when you're talking about implementing a strategy that works across the institution maybe bringing in other voices just like you don't have to mandate it but opening it up to academics and learners so they feel involved and part of the process I are know we, how challenging it is are we agile
0: uh, are we agile enough to make that work because that's such a good idea and that's I guess what that's what an evaluation of a module is for but it's it's quite difficult to get changes through. Now, that's changing a lot now because of COVID and how kind of we teach and we need to be more responsive. Um, But still, kind of, is the expectation that a student feeds back and a tutor then goes in and redoes certain parts of their courses alongside a lot of the other work that's going on? So I'm suggesting a step
1: further than that. I'm not saying that they just feed back. I'm saying they're actively involved. Like you get them to buy into the process, so that when you do roll something out, it's actually had input from everyone. So like it's that whole idea of brainstorming. When you're brainstorming, there's no bad ideas. You're just getting everything on paper, and then you're refining and drilling those down. So if if a like you know uh, one student's made one point, that doesn't necessarily mean it will definitely be incorporated there are other things to consider, like does it add to the learning? How much work will it involve? Is it technically possible? Is it still accessible? There's all of these things, right? But you should at least listen to those and then articulate to the learner why those things haven't been incorporated. So then you've got a running list of, these are all the things that were brought in. These are the reasons why we have put this in or haven't put this in. This will come for the next iteration that we do or whatever it is.
2: I think that would be as well the perfect, um, kind of the practical task for future labor market because actually you incorporate, you include students in this kind of design process and you teach them through this exercise, you teach them a lot, of ex- a lot of skills that are essential for the labor market. Because frankly, like all of the NSS scores or a lot of the module evaluations, at the moment they are used frankly for the academics to get the promo- promotion. They not necessarily measure the quality. <laughs> Sorry, Ruby, I know that you are laughing, but that's the truth. Um, and it's of course, I'm not just kind of talking about one institution, but I've been working in a different institutions across the UK HE sector. And I've been working at HISA as well. So I kind of, you know, know what I'm talking about. And and it's, it doesn't, the, the, the satisfaction, module uh, satisfaction surveys and things like that, they don't really meet Needs or requirements for for, for academic uh, or for instructional designers to improve on the courses is just for the maintenance of the status quo and the questions are Are you satisfied with your learning? Are you satisfied with the the module? And these are not meaningful questions if you dive deep um, Into the kind of the core of learning because learning itself it should be challenging because the most if you're looking at the areas of growth the most growth that you experience is when you come out of your comfort zone and it's by definition coming out of the comfort zone it's not an easy task and of course you can get accustomed to it and if you are training quite a lot or if, you're, if you are learning you can get, get used to that you can get to know like this But for some people, especially at the beginning, in the first two years maybe of uh, of academic journey, that's not the, it might not be pleasant thing. And on top of that, it requires a lot lot of changes in personal life. You know, you move out of your house, there is a lot of challenges, you're going into your adulthood and things like that. So by definition, the students who are completing those surveys are might not be in the best place So their opinions might be biased. So why do we ask those questions in the way we ask them? If we use the models that you propose, Rumi, I think it will be much more inclusive, actually, and we would get much more from students and teach them at the same time much more skills that are essential for the workplace. Yeah, and I'd also
1: add that that doesn't necessarily need to be the end of it. So like you go through this process and the students are fed in, but you might get students or academics saying this doesn't work for us. And I think you also need to then decide on effective ways of channeling that feedback back into the group. So it's not like I don't like this. I'm not going to do it. It's like, OK, you don't like this. What don't you like about it? What doesn't work for you? And then working, trying to work that into any process that you've got or any any kind of um, planning tools you've
0: got. Yeah, I just sent, I sent kind of um, a, kind of the Delphi method, and I'll be honest with you, I heard about this yesterday, or this morning, because we've been working quite a lot, um, and it's all about kind of the involvement of the people that matter, and like you say, getting students involved, co-creation, but kind of, Giving them giving them something um, because at the moment we we have kind of don't have that much. So giving them a proposal, letting them see that proposal, letting them feedback on that, then going back to them refining it. Um, whether that's using students, whether that's just and just getting everyone involved at every stage. Um, and I find it interesting working in a kind of HE institution that is a large, very large, um, and how separate all the different elements are and how you think, oh, it should be so easy to do something like this. And then you actually sit down and you're like, oh, there's like a hundred moving parts, um, that all have to be on board with this. Then it just, yeah. Then it just feels like kind of, we, we haven't quite nailed this on campus yet. Um, Go on. Uh, I was
1: just going to say, conversely though, um, the pandemic's kind of opened up opportunities of the different parts of the institution working together in a way, it's, it's, particularly in your own teams, like the the, the uh, teams that we were working in together, like they're all working together now in a way that they weren't before, right? So Yeah, yeah, definitely, even, definitely. Even though you're not on campus and you, you were saying that was a bit of a struggle, actually this has made things a bit easier to work together collaboratively and maybe... Part of why there were so many different moving parts is there wasn't any standardization across the colleges. So this is like the really early days and it will be a bit challenging, lots to unpick to begin with. Um, And it will probably it will probably be like, you know, a good few years before you start to see the rewards filtering through because it's going to take a couple of years to develop those plans and courses and then it's going to take another couple of years before students start feeding back on those courses which have been delivered. Um, yeah, but yeah. how
0: how how does because I was in a I was in a a community of practice um and we were talking about open educational resources. Um, and one individual said, okay, but how do you sell that? How do you sell that to management? Um, and the idea of changing culture it's not something that happens instantly and it's not necessarily something that you can put a monetary value on. It very much is kind of changing the way someone kind of thinks about or approaches um something. And is that is that one of those kind of I don't know airy 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 ideas. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's There are ways you can sell it to management
1: without it being like a monetary gain. I mean, you've got your framework for the next however many years. And as long as you're aligning yourself with the institutional objectives strongly, and like, so, you know, some of it will be about um, uh, influence, like influencing other people or influencing uh, people. It's about being international. It's about, you know, having top research or top, you know, leading the world in other ways. And I think it doesn't necessarily have to have, a massive immediate financial reward because those come through the meeting of the other criteria which the institution's trying to meet right and so if you've got a strong enough case that says yeah we're hitting all of these objectives it like and it's costing next to nothing above what we're already doing because the team are already employed in house and they're experts in their subject just let them get on with what they know um, but you need you need a champion to write that business case for you because business cases aren't easy Yes. Um, and they need to be worded in the sort of management speak that appeals to them. In order, yeah. And they need to be coming from someone with enough clout that people will read it in the first place.
0: Yeah, and I think it's a buy-in as well, buy-in from the, the, the people on the ground. Um, so people like us. Because when I hear something like that, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure that concerns any of us. I think our job really is to bring the passion, bring the enthusiasm, bring the ideas. And it's kind of... It's whoever's above um, to, to write that down and to make that happen and I think mean, it doesn't always tend to happen oh, if, uh, if you
1: if, if you see that there's a gap like if you if you feel like it should be happening higher above but there's a gap and it directly impacts your job I don't see why you wouldn't get together with people and discuss it I mean we discuss it right but like yeah. and, and and we were very lucky in that when we escalated things they were listened to. Um, so, like we we're. In That's it, and they will both. be. They were, They. Yeah. They are.
0: So, mm-hmm. whenever I kind of have an idea or there's an issue, it's escalated, and it, and it, something happens. But it's that whole mindset of maybe I can't, maybe maybe I can't do that. It's it's kind of someone else should do that, management should do that, kind of
2: putting barriers in. Whereas I don't. Do we need barriers? You're right, Nathan. If you believe that you can't, you can't. If you believe you you can, you can. And if you this is the thing that if we disagree with um, a lot of things that is happening and we we are explicit about that and we are actually this is the first step of making change to anything. Have you been doing your um, you've been doing your your coursework today. (laughs) I did yeah and yesterday all day yesterday so I'm in different frame of mind and about coming back to open educational resources and things like that I think this is a great opportunity in that because at the moment we've got those three big exercises running for in AG, CAF, TEF, REF and they of course the research excellence framework exercise knowledge exchange and teaching excellence framework exercise And I can see the open educational resources as the combination or something that joins all of those resources together. So actually we can have um, research evidence-based or research-based framework for educators that we actively engage with people outside of academia. It's open for public. And we demonstrate the quality teaching at the same time. So of course, I agree with all of, uh, things that you, you've you said that it that would require a really good business case and actually looking into those silos at the university or at the universities looking you know um, the guys from the knowledge exchange they would need to really look for the guys what they're doing in the research environment and put those silos together but I can see that this as a great opportunity and actually demonstrate the strength of the academia yeah I was really interested
0: in, in that move um so kind of uh, the ref and impact and kind of you have to be displaying impact um, within any of the research that you're doing um and the idea of actually teaching is impact for the ref and kind of that for me was quite well that for me was great because actually like well even at a research intensive institution we can we can kind of showing people that you can focus on teaching, you can use some of this research and you can make you can make the experience better for students. It doesn't just have to be teaching and research separate. Um, but I'd be interested to know how that works moving forward. Uh, and if people pick pick that up and how involved we get, we get in some of this stuff, because from my experience, the ref has has been more of an outwardly kind of um comms more of a comms type approach um, rather than a, a, a teaching and learning focus where kind of people like us get involved in that um so i i kind of fear that there's the potential of missing a trick of, of getting on getting in on the ground of some of this kind of Teaching that is that is based in some of the research and the ref um, the ref studies, but yeah, I I think it's quite quite an interesting uh, move forward.
1: I've uh, I'm not familiar with this uh, term Kef. I actually had to look it up. So I've seen knowledge exchange framework. Obviously, that's something new that's uh, coming in um, for he.
2: I'm not super familiar with knowledge exchange framework. Um, When I used to work for different uh, university, I used to deal much more with ref, with ref exercise. But the knowledge exchange, it's something that my understanding of it is something that is looking into the uh, impact that the institution, the higher education institution, can impact the local communities and local areas or regions and how the activities of the institutions, whether this is through the teaching or research, is impacting the the local economy, local growth. But that's um, my very vague understanding of Kev. But yeah, I mean, I I remember
1: with with Ref, there was a lot of um, discussion around impact and whether necessarily having it like obvious immediate impact was the basis of of good research. like uh, the, the example i always hear is that um you know the graphene example i think we might have spoken about it on, mm. on the podcast before but yep. where you know if if he if, if the scientists that have been doing that had written an impact assessment beforehand you know who knows but he was just doing research for the sake of research sometimes that's really valuable some of the best research comes out of mistakes right yeah is another example absolutely mm. So it's always a tricky one. Um, And I know we've got um, one of the scheduled podcasts is about vocationalization of universities, but this whole idea that we should be creating people for the jobs that are out there and the the skills that um, like employers need is really interesting because we know quite well that the job market has been changing so rapidly. The skills that we train people for now might not be the skills that they need in five years time. So is that really the most effective way of of judging the teaching excellence uh, just by impact when we know that it's such a weird moving beast?
2: And this is super interesting, actually, what you were saying, because uh, we teach people a lot of skills, a, a lot of knowledge, a lot of knowledge that we teach students or when the student is coming to the academia in the first year. Um, it's not super relevant towards the end of their studies or there is more evidence. Sometimes the evidence is coming new, is it contradicts what they are being taught at the first year. Um, a lot of uh, students who are actually coming entering the academia this year, by the time they graduate, they will be doing a job that does not exist today. So we focus on all of those things and we academia becomes something that if you're looking at the job market, you know, everyone has to have the degree or, and the degree has got to be second upper and people are becoming, our students are becoming obsessed with that and they are entering the academia. Of course, I'm not talking about, it. this is the case for everyone, but certainly for a certain number of people who are entering the academia, they are entering it because they feel they have to, in order to be successful, in job pursuit and even though we know that you won't be working in your selected career perhaps over your course uh, over your professional career you will change the course of your employment so actually what you need to do you need to be flexible and the fact that i'm qualified as psychologist for example it doesn't mean that i won't be an educator or by the time I get to 40s, I might decide to become pilot or whatever, I'm basically talking from my experience now. <laughs> but um, so actually what I think we would need to really focus on is teach people how to learn effectively. And so far, I don't know what is your experience, but my experience in the education, and uh, bear in mind, I had all of my uh, education up to A level in Poland, and then I moved to UK to complete my undergrad and postgrad. Never, no one ever taught me how to learn. Never. You know, the last thing that I was taught how to do it was just like taught how how to read when I was five or six. And you know, that my granny did that for me. So this was the only one element that, and then people were saying, oh, you know, you cannot concentrate. Or you're in the class with the 30 people, and people, uh, everyone is uh, taking a mic. you know how is it in the primary or secondary school and then you are being blamed that you cannot pay attention like seriously no one ever taught me how to pay attention and now i'm like i don't know 11 years in my postgraduate studies i did like different um degrees and stuff or 10th i don't know um and no no one ever taught me how to be effective learner um, I,
1: I, I do have a point to make on the back of that, but just to say on the back of your story, I, I can believe every word you said about uh, the, the comments you were getting about uh, <laughs> your, your school life. Um, but uh, on the more serious point, um, you were saying no one no one taught you how to learn. Uh, just to draw a parallel back to the, the um, games uh, article that I shared with you all that I was discussing earlier today, someone raised the point of the game doesn't teach you how to beat the levels. The game teaches you how to play the game. Like, so in those early stages, they, don't te- they teach you the skills that you require in order to play the game, rather than here's a walkthrough of how to complete every level. And I feel like in a sense, by uh, targeting specific outcomes, we might limit ourselves, um, like, when I say outcomes, I mean in terms of skills for jobs, we might limit ourselves because we're we're teaching them these really specific skills that might not be the relevant skills they need. Instead, just as you said, what we should be teaching them is teach them how to learn. So teach them how to have a thirst for knowledge, teach them how to research, teach them that when they go into the world of work, even though they might not be the complete package, they have that skill set that will enable them to learn the additional skills later on.
0: And something that we mentioned in a different podcast is kind of um, curating whether that's creating material um, critiquing kind of material that you find online. Um, so fake news and all of this kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It's something that, cause everyone at the moment, everyone wants to do workshops and training and teaching people how to use stuff. Um, and I'm very much kind of, I'd really like to teach someone how to use Google effectively and how to, and how to search, with Google, well, just kind of how how to type in an effective search term that gets you what you want. That, for me, would solve so many of my issues because now maybe I'm just highlighting my lack of knowledge, but when someone comes to me and says, oh, I've got this problem, the first thing I do is Google it and, and search for it and potentially copy and paste the, the response to them
1: What's really strange is that the libraries at um, uh, many uh, higher education institutes offer some fantastic services around uh, literature searching and things like Google searches, using Booleans, things like that. And I'm like, but this is like one step more complicated than just a simple Google search. And like, yeah. if, like if everybody's being armed with these skills, why don't they have the skills where they can just find something online and then assess its quality, um, like you know its validity and reliability? Uh, just there and then right uh, I just find it bizarre that they can do the more complicated thing but not the easier thing
0: yeah yeah and sometimes there's that missing link so there's the potential of okay I can do that but I don't know how to I just don't know how to search because actually you do it's just yeah just haven't put two and two together to understand that actually it's a lot easier to do that you just maybe haven't been taught that how to do it or how easy and effective it is. Mm.
1: Um, And sometimes I feel like, so taking out sort of structured education, sometimes it's more about knowing how to ask the right question. So I remember when I was learning to use Excel like a few years ago, and like I I knew that it should be able to do some things, but I wasn't sure how to do it. And so uh, a Google search, sometimes it was just a case of finding the right question to find the right forum to get the answer I needed. Um, and sometimes we, I guess we need to teach people how to ask the right questions. Right. Um, and then, then there were things that I was like, oh, maybe it can do this. But I, again, I need to learn the question. But that was that was later on, once I learned how to ask the right questions that I was able to then look at the things that maybe Excel can do. Um, and maybe some of the stuff we should be doing with like rather than just talking about like searching for things it's like asking ask, asking appropriate questions really refining those questions to figure out
0: what it is we want to know before we can't start looking for it yeah but it's very much what that search term what what is the search term because i, I i'll agree with you the the idea of kind of exploring how to use something but not quite known, knowing what you want to know and and putting that in the search and then going through hundreds of the pages and then thinking "Ah, oh, this isn't quite what I need and then refining that and you go through at least a thousand pages before you you get that that little nugget that you were looking for um, and actually that's a really important process to go through to understand okay how how am I searching how how should I be doing it more effectively um, but having that knowledge it just I think it just opens up the world. It, it really does allow you to do so much things. I mean, my, my parents, they, they weren't that into, I mean, they're more into books. So my dad would, would buy lots of DIY books and stuff like that. Now he's just YouTube every day. He's like searching, put up a shelf or, or kind of do like just the random stuff. And I'm, and I'm talking to him. It's like, yeah, yeah, watch this YouTube video, watch this YouTube video. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, it's not the best. It's not the best. Um, <laughs> it's not the best video. But actually, it, it serves its purpose. But then there's different levels, isn't there? Then there's kind of, if, if you refine that search, you'll get much better resources and actually that's kind of that's where you're trying to get to in the end but understanding that kind of way I guess you have to start somewhere don't you so I'm very I don't know encouraging of of any of the kind of stuff
2: that my parents send through I suppose that would be a really good um subject for the podcast in but which that you my can parents no no your parents are I don't know them so I'm, I'm pretty sure they're very interesting people Um bring them I'll bring them on yeah, please, please do. I, I would love to talk to them. Um, but yeah, uh, talking about uh, Google search and you know how how, how actually phrase the good um, how to phrase good question and type it in and um, look for for useful resources. That would be a really interesting subject for the conversation. Get like top tips and I don't know what you think about about, guys. One
0: of one of Romy's top tips was on the. Um the back of his computer, wasn't it? (laughs) Have you tried web searching that? Oh, one of my
1: favorites is uh, LMGTFY, LMGTFY? Yeah, that's right, Um, which is a site which you can send people a link to, obviously, Uh, which is, uh, like, do you know it? Let me Google that for you. Um, You have shown it to me. I haven't haven't quite used it yet. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Carol, but uh, I'll send it to you. And if you you search for anything in here, uh, so, give me something you want to search for, and uh, I'll do it after the recording because obviously this makes bad podcast <laughs> material. <laughs> yeah, just
0: yeah, got, let's search for that.
1: <laughs> got got a bit comfortable there, thinking, yeah, it's just us lot having a chat as we <laughs> do about le- learning design and like pr- challenges, uh, and then just straight off into
0: something completely different. Um, yeah, well, I guess, I mean, there's less um, we've talked about a lot. We've covered yeah. a lot of ground today. Um, if, i mean if we haven't got anything else to to add i mean there's quite a few interesting topics to to look at in the future um but yeah i'll i'll say thank you thank you for joining us um, thank you Remy, thank you carol thank, thank you. you and we'll see you on the next um episode You've been listening to the Beyond Digital Education podcast. If you liked what you've heard, please do listen to more of our podcasts and please do engage with us on the topics we've raised.